people mm. appreciate you being honest with them. And we all make mistakes. We all drop mm. the ball from time to time. And if you just say, look, I got some bad news. We got this document and it doesn't look good. Then you tell a person, here's how we're going to make it. And most people are so appreciative that you're straight with them. I've got a colleague that does a lot of medical malpractice. And he says, people never come to me and say, the doctor apologized for this outcome and I still want to sue him. It's usually a doctor or a hospital that makes a mistake and they won't admit they made a mistake. They'll try to tell you that the sky's blue when it's obviously stormy and rainy. And I just think that speaks wonders, volumes that people appreciate when they can identify with that. They can identify with you because they make mistakes. Yeah. You've made a mistake. And then they treat you the way they would like to be treated when they make a mistake. And uh, like I say, I think we sugarcoat things, not for the other person benefit, but for our own benefit. When we're sugarcoating it, we're trying to disguise whatever it is that we're talking about so that we get the minimum amount of blowback. And Mm -hmm. I think the fear off the bandaid off. And and that takes a lot of courage and a lot of humility in the moment to do in that part. Crone Law Firm. Alan has 30 plus years of experience in the legal industry and previously served as special counsel and senior policy advisor to City of Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland. Welcome to our show, Alan. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you part of this show and want to learn a lot about what you do. Can you just start off with what happened in your life that you wanted to get into law? <laughs> Great question. I was a theater major in college and I thought okay. that I was going to, I thought I was going to become an actor or maybe a drama, a teacher in high yeah. school, something like that. And I uh-huh. uh, went on a date and uh, I told my companion that I was a theater major. And she said, how are you going to make a living doing that? And <laughs> I began thinking about that and I knew that I was a good actor, but I didn't think I was the next Lawrence Olivier. And I thought, what's a good way to use stage presence and a deep voice and other physical attributes that I have like that. And I thought, well, that sounds great. I'd love to try cases. I'd love to have important questions riding on my shoulders. And so I, I'd switched my major to political science. I was always interested in, in politics, public service. And so I enjoyed that. And I, as I always say, if you're a political science major, you got to get a secondary degree, whether it's a master's or whatever. And so I went to law school and I, it was the right thing for me to do. I really love what I do. There's no better profession. You can have just an exponential impact on the world as a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, agree. that's been doing it for 30 plus years and in one form or another. And uh, I've also enjoyed the flexibility that law gives you. Yeah. Yes. But do you ever wonder, maybe you could have made it in Hollywood by now? I have no doubt. 
that if I yeah. had gone that route, you, you and I would be having a different kind of interview, but different I would have been much sought after. No, I, I, to me, I felt this is what I was, this is my vocation. This is what I was called to do. And when I have doubts, I look back on it and I say, nothing is ever, nothing's perfect and nothing is great all the time, but the high shore out, uh, weigh the lows. I've been blessed. I've had an exciting life. Sound like I'm giving my own eulogy here, but I, I've just, <laughs> I've always done what I wanted to do and it's never been boring. That's for sure. It could be a positive or negative way to look at it, but people in our lives, they have a major impact. They influence our decisions. And that was an influence. It turned out good for you. It could have went the other way as well. That's true. I think you have to listen whether you're religious or not, I am. And I believe that's how the Lord speaks to us is through other people. But I think you still have to listen to the world around you, even if you're not a religious yeah. person, because your life is speaking to you through other people, through events. And yeah. you re the way you react to different events in your life, that determines the arc of your life. If you have yeah. meaningful, thoughtful choices based on circumstance, then I think you're going to have a great life. If you're reactive or you react mm. in a negative way to everything, then you're going to have a negative mm. life. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you put out. That's right. Yeah. So what sets you guys apart? You have over 30 years of experience. That is commendable. So what do you find that helps you guys stand out from all the other firms out there? I think what makes us stand out is we have a mission. And our mission is to protect and further our clients, jobs, careers, and businesses. And we have built this firm for that, pro that proposition. And when it comes to employment law, there are lots of great lawyers out there who do a lot of, they may do employment law, divorce work, personal injury, and criminal in their mix. Yeah, and they're great at what they do. But we have decided that we want to make our clients our top priority and not just in the moment, but in the way we built the firm. And so we're building this firm for our clients. And I think that is our unique selling proposition is we are employment law all the time. And now I have a little bit of a expanded definition of employment law. A lot of people think of employment mm -hmm. law just as wrongful terminations, just discrimination, harassment, that sort of thing. And that's a big part of what we do. Yeah. But I basically say employment law is anything, any legal matter that affects your ability to provide for your family. And that could be all of those things, but it could also be a dispute with your business partner. It could be a non-compete or even a personal injury matter that reduces your ability to work. We've got a lot of experience mm -hmm. in proving lost earnings and reduced earning capacity. And we bring that to the table where this is not going to mean too much, but we're an AV ranked firm, which means we've got the highest professionalism, experience, and ethics. And we want to bring that level of practice to not just the big, powerful corporations, but to, to everybody. I say we, we represent people, and sometimes the people we represent own businesses. And so we work through them to help their business, but only as a conduit of helping the person rather than a big corporation. And don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with big corporations in, in mm, the abstract, mm. but that's just not, that's just not the firm we're built for. We'll, we're built for mm. people. So it's basically you represent people on both sides, on the employment side, on the employer side, 
is basically you're covering all angles. We try to, and I'd say the overwhelming majority of our clients are employees and executives, whether they're a CEO of a corporation or they're a paramedic working on a helicopter. We represent mainly those kind of folks. And every now and then, as I say, a right-thinking entrepreneur will hire us. And I love helping entrepreneurs build a HR-compliant workplace because it's, it's legally smart, but it's also good business. It's, it's mm-hmm. good business to treat your employees transparently, to train them well, to give them the tools they need to succeed. And mm-hmm. I find that organizations that do that tend not to get sued. And, and more mm-hmm. importantly, they tend to make a lot more money which, you know, mm. what we're all out here trying to do. The more organized something is, the more streamlined it operates. It's going to benefit the owner if he adds policies and processes to improve things. That's right. It's not to get off too much of an employment law tangent, but mm. simple things like job descriptions that, you know, aren't mm. just jotted off to check a box, really understanding mm. how your organization is built, how, how each piece fits together, what it takes for each piece to be successful and to hire to that. And uh, I'm a big believer, I've mentioned it already, I'm a big believer in mission. If you've got an mm-hmm. organization that has a mission and you can communicate that, I was on a recruitment call the, right before I got onto this call and I, I was talking to this, this lady about coming to work for us and I asked her what her mission was. And uh, she was a little flummoxed. She said, no one's really asked me that. I said, what gets you up in the morning? Why do, why do you choose to work in this area and we talked about our mission, but helping people protect their job and so forth. And when you hire to your mission, you're much more likely to make a good hire mm-hmm. than just trying to get somebody in a seat. And mm-hmm. this lady told me, I want meaning in my life. I want meaning in what I do for a living. And I think most of us want that. And so if you can lay it out there and almost recruitment calls almost needs to be, you need to do everything you can to talk the person out of working for you. Because you want someone that, that buys into that mission, that sees the mission and is willing to put up with the inevitable bad days that they're going to have along with hopefully great days because they're bought into that mission. And you can't replace that with training or anything else. If someone has that fire to help mm-hmm. you accomplish your mission, then you're, that relationship is already starting out on a much stronger foundation than if you just, even if you're just hiring the most competent person on paper, if they don't buy into the mission, they're not going to be around very long. I can relate to that. I appreciate when businesses lead with heart, when they do things from heart, the quality is so much different. Oh, it is. And then you're not disciplining people. You're training them. And, you know, and then, yeah, it's it's more of a partnership. And then when things go wrong and the relationship sours, and if God forbid you find yourself in court, all of the communication and documents are going to say to the jury, look, we tried, this just didn't work. Mm-hmm. This, they, this wasn't a situation where we were trying to fire them for some cockamamie reason mm-hmm. or legal reason. Yeah. It just didn't work out. And juries are smart. They see that. But when they see a bunch of arbitrary decisions that don't seem that come out of left field on someone, they tend to scratch their head and say, what's really going on here? And so again, that's why one of our big value pillars in our shop is transparency. We want to be transparent with our our Mm -hmm. team members. We want to be transparent with our clients, opposing counsel, judges, everybody that we deal with, 
I think there's no hidden agenda here. What is what you get? And I think people, I hope people respect us for that. And I think our relationships are better across the board. Yeah. And it comes back, like you said, to transparency. And then anyone can see that transparency, especially the employee that's coming in. When they see those things, they realize, okay, I feel at home here. I'm safe. And it makes a hell of a lot of a difference. And even when we're doing business with our consumers as a business, having that transparency makes a difference. I won't call them out, but I think the airlines industry in general, I've often wondered if there was a study because we've all had that, that experience of sitting in a gate and they come on and they say, the flight's delayed, it's going to be 15 minutes. And every 20 minutes, they say it's going to be 15 minutes. And it would be nice for a little transparency to say, look, we're walking on this. It may be two hours. Now, maybe there's a psychological study that says it's better just give a group of people like that 15 minutes of hope rather than uncertainty. But I think some transparency in that circumstance will go a long way to make people feel better about their flying experience, at least on certain airlines. It's the emotional side too, the fear, chaos happening. If they say two to four hours, people start freaking out in the waiting area. So maybe that fear makes them make it a calmer process, maybe. Yeah, I would really like to know the science on that. I'm sure that yeah. they've studied it, but it just, if, you're a, if you're a veteran flyer, and you hear the 15 minutes, you know, that's not true, but you just know it's not going to be, you know, particularly after the second 15 minutes, this is going to be a major delay. I just wish they'd say that. But anyway, I think yeah. transparency is always good and, always um, good. and it's better in bad times than in good times. Yeah. You admit a mistake and say, we just, we miscalculated this, that happens to us. We have to go to a client and say, they got some bad news. The judge made a decision yeah. we didn't agree with, or this witness has changed their story or whatever, but just being as transparent about that as you can, I think, I think helps people because they don't feel like they don't know what's coming. I find that transparency requires heart because people are afraid of the response or the reaction for just being honest and being transparent. And people sugarcoat it or they move it around or make some changes to what they're saying just to make it easier on the other person. But that's another question we need to ask is that oh, what are majority of people okay with? Are they okay with hearing the transparency or a sugar sugarcoated version? Like with me, when I'm dealing with people, I try to be as transparent as possible. And sometimes you can see the other person is not happy. What are your thoughts on that? I think most of the time I dread the response in exponential proportion to what I actually get. I think the Ritz Carlton did a study and found that they got higher marks when they overcame an obstacle than when they gave perfect service that people mm. appreciate you being honest with them. And most people can appreciate with, and we all make mistakes. We all drop mm -hmm. the ball from time to time. It's the understanding. Yeah. And if you just say, look, I got some bad news, whatever it is, I got some bad news. We, uh, we got this document and it doesn't look good or got some bad news. And you tell a person, you say, okay, here's how we're going to make it. And most people are so 
appreciative that you're straight with them. I've got a colleague that does a lot of medical malpractice. And he says, people never come to me and say, the doctor apologized for this outcome and I still want to sue him. It's usually a doctor or a hospital that makes a mistake and they won't admit they made a mistake. They'll try to tell you that the sky is blue when it's obviously stormy and rainy. And I just think that speaks wonders, volumes that people appreciate when you're, when, because they can identify with that. They can identify with you because they make mistakes. You've made a mistake and then they treat you the way they would like to be treated when they make a mistake. And uh, like I say, I think we sugarcoat things, not for it to, not for the other person benefit, but for our own benefit. When we're sugarcoating it, we're trying to, we're trying to disguise whatever it is that we're talking about so that we get the minimum amount of blowback. And I think the fear off the bandaid off. And and that's, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of humility in the moment to do. And that's that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Takes a specific type of mindset to know that the other person knowing the truth is so valuable and not worrying about yourself and just giving it to them as in the nicest way possible. But in the long run, you'll keep them closer to you if they're appreciative of that. But definitely it's super important. I'm glad that we're having this conversation about it. But I wanted to ask you, Ellen, do you have any kind of tips that you can share for an employee? If an employee goes into a business, what steps can they do to make that relationship better? And same time, when an employer hires an employee, what could they do to make the relationship better? I think the first thing both sides of the equation can do is ask hard questions mm-hmm. up front. If there's a deal breaker for you, and you want to find that out and you don't want to skirt it. And it can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But if you're an employer and timeliness is important to you, you need to find out how embarrassed somebody is for being late. If they're not very embarrassed mm. for being late. Then they're probably going to be late. And if that's a deal breaker, you need to find that out on the front end. And so that's, again, I go back to the whole job description. Part of it is the job description needs to be unique to that particular job or class of jobs in your organization, you need to know what it takes to be successful in that job and then hire to that, hire to your mission, and then have a, a, a culture where people can confront each other constructively. Mm. In this country, we have a terrible relationship with confrontation. There's good confrontation. And I'll give you a good example on this timeliness issue. I had, I represented a fellow who was a black man who was in his sixties and he had worked for the same company his whole life. And for the last 20, 30 years, he had, uh, he was habitually late. He was late between 15 and 20 minutes late every single day. It had to do with the public transportation system in his town. And it was just a hole, no matter how early he got to the bus stop, he was going to get to his, to the place 20 or 30 minutes late. It's a new boss who's white. And uh, it just really ticks this guy off that this guy's 15 or 20 minutes late, but he mm. doesn't confront him with it. He doesn't ask him, Hey, what's, what's wrong. He just took it as, well, this guy thinks he can just come and go as he please. After three times of the fellow being late, he fired him. And he told him, he says, you're late all the time. So he comes to me and we're in the consultation. And I said, no, the paper here says that he fired you for being late. Is that the real reason? 
The guy said something I'll never forget. He says, no, how do you know that it wasn't the real reason? I've been late for the last 30 years and it was all right then. Now I get this new young white boss and all of a sudden it's not all right anymore. It must be because of my age and race. And we eventually settled that. And we found out there were some younger white folks that got a little bit more of a pass on the late thing than he did. And it resulted in a settlement. But my point is, I think that whole thing could have been avoided Mm. if the manager had sat down and said, all right, what's going in here? Why are you late all the time? Then at least he would have known that it wasn't an intentional thing on this guy's part. It was because of the bus system. And I think that they could have adjusted his start time and he would have been late. Maybe he would have been on time all the time, but he, but they, that company didn't give themselves a, an opportunity to succeed there for a couple of reasons. One, no one had ever communicated to this guy how important it is to be on time. Now, let me just say, I'm not advocating that you got to spell everything out for people. But if it's that important, then you need to tell people, and a lot of people need to know why. It's not just an arbitrary, we got to be here at eight o'clock. You get here at eight fifteen. that's not acceptable. So bringing them in and establishing that culture is important. The second thing is confronting the guy saying, Hey, what's in a collaborative way, what's going on? Not you're late, you know, you're worthless because you're late, but really engaging in that dialogue. It's a relationship and relationships to be two-way streets. There's got to be give and take on both sides and there's got to be communication. And so I think I could talk about this for a long time, but I, I think it comes down to simple things like that. Good communication, good expectations, clearly lay mm-hmm. them out, set the ground rules, give people opportunities mm-hmm. to succeed. And if they don't, then the organization's got to make a change. Most mm-hmm. people, I think, most people want to do a good job. They want praise from their employer. They mm-hmm. don't want to be a problem. And so you've got to ask yourself, okay, why is this a problem? And then mm-hmm. go and look for that route. And maybe that it's irreconcilable. But most of the time it is reconcilable. You can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I, that's, in a nutshell, that's nice. my, that's my, that's uh, great, uh, and the other thing I recommend people do is read my book, The Law at Work, which goes into these sorts of things and talks about not just, it's written for people, not for lawyers. If it were written for lawyers, it'd be about that thick, but it Clean plays language. out the law and how the law affects our working relationships. And yeah. uh, it goes into a lot more detail. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ellen. Do you have a link to that book that you can email us as well? Oh, absolutely. I'll email you a link to it. It's on very good. Uh, on Amazon, it's in Barnes and Noble, Walmart, okay. all those kind of places. I always say you can find it on the same website as you can buy Ernest Hemingway. Got it. That's perfect, Alan. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for sharing everything. At the end of the day, it comes down to care and compassion. When we have care and compassion in our businesses, in our government institutions, in our law firms, and anywhere you will see that the relationships improve, everything improves. And like you said, you can avoid so many of these cases just by just being human. Thank you so much, Alan, for coming on our show today and speaking about all this. It's great to find out how important transparency is for your business and what you do, and also other people involved in the journey of entrepreneurship. So I appreciate that. And audience, 
Thanks again for joining us for another episode. You have seen and heard what Alan has shared. Definitely take a look at their website. If you're in the business and if you want to make some improvements on both ends, definitely check out his book. Take a read at it. It's, it's good to have this knowledge, especially when you're running a business and especially when you are an employee to know what is going on more clearly. And Alan has the skills to share that with you. Thank you for helping us grow and we'll see you next time. Thank you.